fade in. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this word. We need you to instruct us from it once again. Be with us through the power of your spirit. Open our ears, our minds, our hearts, and apply this word to our lives today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Fade to black, fade out, fade in. These are all terms used in cinematography to describe a transition in a scene that is about to take place. They are all clues that are given to the viewer so that we know to expect something different. Maybe it's a new beginning, maybe it's an end, or maybe just some kind of transition. Some of the most dramatic scenes in movies are done through use of the fade, of the fade in, of the fade out. For Paul, in the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians, in order to understand Moses and the Old Covenant, Jesus and the New Covenant, and who we are and how we're living now, it is essential that we understand the theology of the fade. And that's how he understands the relationship between the Old and New Covenant. So here's the structure that I want to use for us today. Fade in, fade out, and unfading. Fade in is a great construct. A fade in is full of freshness, full of newness. It is full of hope. It is like the dawn of a new day. It is like the birth of a baby. It is like a flower as it begins to bloom. It's fresh. It's vivid. It's bright. It's clear. It may be hazy at first, but then it gets clearer the longer that you look at it or the longer that the scene is before us. The Bible begins with a glorious fade in. In the midst of darkness, God speaks and says, let there be a fade in. Let there be light. Or, if you want to look at the way Paul says it, because he's tying lots of things together here on the front of your bulletin in 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. The director of all creation says, fade it in. We are starting something new, something great, something glorious. Bring up the lights. Exodus began in the darkness of a tomb that was the oppression of the people of God in Egypt. Genesis ended with a coffin in Egypt. But God transformed the tomb. He made the tomb into a womb, into an incubator, into a nursery, into a hope chest. And out of it, he brought his firstborn son, Israel. And the Son is brought into the light of the revelation of God. The light of God's presence, the light of God's glory is given to the Son as He's brought out of that dark place. A glorious light 
which would be with the people, which would in cloud or in fire indwell the tabernacle in the midst of the people of God. It is a story in Exodus that is repeating the creation story and its structure. Out of the darkness, God brings forth people into the light. Exodus parallels that exactly, and we're not going to look at it in detail right now, but in Exodus chapter 40, you have six panels of creation, of erection of the tabernacle, and each one of them is in accordance with the command of God, and at the end of that erection of the tabernacle, just as it says in Genesis, it says the exact same thing in Exodus, it is finished. The creation and the recreation completed. This grand scale fade-in is symbolized particularly in Moses as he descends from the mountain. Now, he descends from the mountain, and this time, of course, it's a much better reception that Moses has from the people than he had the last time he came down from the mountain, but he comes down the mountain with the testimony in his hands, which later, of course, will be called in Scripture, a light unto feet, a lamp unto a path. He comes down carrying light for the people, and unbeknownst to him, he has a shining face. Moses' face communicates the book as a whole. The, the face of Moses is a fade-in. It's shining. It's glowing. And it communicates to them that God has given to the people this glorious covenant. They will build a glorious tabernacle and the Lord will make His face to shine upon them. So, Moses is reflecting that which God is giving. My face is going to shine upon my people. See my servant, my mediator. See the shining face of Moses right now. And Paul Though we might not realize it at first, we, we should realize this and recognize this as we're looking at that 2 Corinthians 3 passage. Paul, though he is comparing and contrasting, makes it very clear to us that the ministry of the Old Covenant was indeed glorious. It was excellent. In fact, it was so glorious that you almost couldn't look at it. Moses is the man the man with whom God spoke face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and so Moses' face says it all. Moses' face reflects the simple truth that it is good to be in the presence of God. Though, it was kind of scary for people to look at it. It was kind of weird. It was kind of unusual to look at a man's face that was shining that was glowing, it caused them to move away until he calls them back. Now to a fade out. Everything fades. Everything fades. The skills of the very best athletes, the agility 
of the dancer, the hand of the artist, the ear of the musician, the voice of a singer, everything fades. Our lives fade. Our eyes fade over time. My eyes used to be blue. They're not anymore. Just gray. Hair fades. Everything fades. If you want to read a cheery description of everything fading, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 later today. And he works through all of the fading aspects of life. Paul, again in this very section that we're talking about in 2 Corinthians, talks about our bodies as jars of clay. And this outer self that we have is wasting away. The grass withers and the flowers fade. I uh, planted morning glories this year. Didn't have any experience with morning glories before. Heard they were a climbing plant. I had a trellis that I wanted them to grow over, and so I planted with great hope, with great expectation, although a little bit late in the season, morning glories. And they didn't bloom. And I was sad that the, they hadn't bloomed because I could see the pictures of them and it was really going to be great if they bloomed. And so I gave them boosting fertilizer to get these things to bloom. And finally, they bloomed. And I thought to myself, this is glorious when I saw them in the morning. And when I came out to look at them again and enjoy them again about midday, then I understood why they're called morning glories. And that is because by 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, that's it for them. They're gone. They've shriveled up, they've withered away, and some have fallen off. Some of them are just hanging on, but they have faded. Houses fade, cars fade. Tents fade. The best of earthly elements of human craftsmanship would go into this tabernacle that they were building, and yet that tabernacle will break down. That tabernacle would get stained. It would tear, and it would dry rot, because that's what happens to tents. The truest dye that they used and those intricate weavings that they had done that we read about, that we rejoiced in, those best dyes were going to fade. The best of the best won't last. We confessed it this morning, Isaiah 64, 6. We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Fading in a fallen world is inevitable. Exodus was a great fade-in. And that covenant and that tabernacle that was so glorious, so wonderful, is going to fade to black. There will come a time when no one will remember it, miss it, or call to mind 
that which was the best of the best within the tabernacle. No one will remember, miss, or call to mind the Ark of the Covenant. Jeremiah 3, 14. One day it will be said, not only of Israel, but of the tabernacle as well, Ichabod. The glory has departed. It's gone out of this place. That's the story of that covenant, that old covenant. And that story is written all over Moses' face. When Moses spoke the word of God to the people, he was unveiled. There was no veil that was there. And his face shone as he declared to them what God had commanded to him. And the shine was visible to everyone who was there. Moses dons the veil not to protect the people from seeing his shining, fade-in face, but rather that they might not see the fade-out. And that's critical to realize. And that is the entire point that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 3. Moses veils the fade-out that would take place. In Paul's word, what he veils is the outcome of that which would fade away, the outcome of that which would, in fact, end. It's a glorious covenant. It's law written on stones. It's beautiful. It's skilled. It's ornate construction that is there. It is rich and complex ritual and it's a shiny mediator, all of which will fade. And Moses veils the fade. Why? Well, perhaps in recognition of the fact that the people and the relationship they had to Moses as a leader, as a mediator, was in fact tenuous. We can read it and think Moses could do no wrong. He could do whatever he wanted. But the fact of the matter is, the last time he was up on the mountain, the people went and did their own thing. Who is this Moses? Listen to the comparison that Paul makes here in verse 12 of chapter 3. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold not like Moses, who would put a veil on his face that the Israelite might not gaze at the outcome of that which was coming to an end. We're bold, not like Moses. If you're making that juxtaposition of those two things, what Paul is saying is that one of the reasons that Moses put the veil over top of his face was that he was concerned about what would happen, worried what would happen if they saw the fade. And in Numbers chapter 12, you get one of the instances of that. Does God speak through Moses only, say Aaron and Miriam? No, he, he speaks through others. 
and God has to remind, God has to teach them through a process that Moses is indeed his mediator. Perhaps he veils for that reason. Perhaps he veils to protect the people from discouragement. I, the analogy that comes to mind with this is, let's take, for example, not the builders of the tabernacle, but the builders of the Titanic. What if you said to the builders of the Titanic on a regular basis, hey, by the way, this ship is not going to complete its first voyage? What does that do to the craftsmanship? What does that do to your motivation within the project of yourself, your sense that this is a grand and wonderful thing that will last forever and be unsinkable? Perhaps they simply aren't ready to comprehend the truth that this is, as glorious as, as, glorious as it is, it is a temporary setup. Moses is a moderator pro tem, a mediator pro tem, and the tabernacle is a tent pro tem for the time being, for this particular time. The old covenant and all of its accoutrement, which could appear so wonderful and so lovely, will fade. In fact, relatively speaking, comparatively speaking, what Paul says is comparatively speaking, you could call it a covenant of death. Even though it's life-giving for the people of God, you could call it a covenant of death in comparison with the new covenant. And in fact, if there had not been a new covenant, a new mediator, a true and perfect mediator in Jesus Christ, then it would have been only that, a covenant of death. And then Paul takes this idea of the veil and he uses it as a metaphor for understanding the relationship of the Israelites, contemporary Jews who heard the message of the gospel, and how they failed to understand that. I want to read for us again verses 14 through 16, speaking now of the Israelites. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. See, to the Jews, all this talk of a cross, of a suffering servant, of the shame of Jesus Christ, and all of it coming through Paul, who in and of himself was apparently not very impressive, either in word or stature, all of that seemed to say to them that this isn't true, that the glorious externalities of the old covenant, the shininess of the old covenant were, in fact, what verified it, what made it true. The gospel can't be true because the gospel doesn't shine. It comes in jars of clay. And that's the veil that blinds. Exodus is glorious. But it is death unless you move beyond Exodus. 
We can go back, study Exodus, glean from the riches of Exodus as we've done over the past months and years now. But you only go back to Exodus beneath the cross of Jesus, in the shadow of the cross of Christ is the only way that we go back to this book. And so every single sermon in this series, while it has appreciated the light, the glory, the law that is contained within the old covenant itself, has said and then emphasized the superiority of Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and the salvation that he works for his people, the surpassing glory of Christ and his spirit. The veil is removed when a person turns to the Lord. And appreciate the imagery here. The veil is removed when you turn to the face of Christ. Turn to Christ. Fade in, fade out, and unfading. So I said earlier, everything fades. I spoke incompletely, and you know that I spoke incompletely. Paul contrasts the temporary old covenant with the permanent, imperishable, unfading new covenant in Christ that has permanent glory. Verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ broke the cycle of fade out. Remember when we were looking at one of the parts of the construction of the tabernacle, we noted the infectious holiness that takes place as things come into contact with the altar. They become holy, but that was temporary and it was symbolic, whereas the blood of Jesus Christ, the outpouring of His Spirit, infects us with newness such that we have in Christ a new covenant, a new birth. We are a new creation. There is a new heavens and a new earth. And as all of the Bible wraps up together, one of the great concluding statements is, Behold, I'm making all things new. And they won't fade. And so we have this extended section from Paul here in, uh, and I'm not going to read through it, in verses 12 through 18, that compare the two, and in comparison of the two, Paul is saying that we have a greater hope, we have a greater courage, we have a greater freedom in the new covenant than they experienced in the old. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The face of our mediator doesn't fade. The shine on the face of Moses was derivative. It was reflective. 
that came of the time that he spent in the presence of God. The shine on the face of Jesus Christ, described in many places in Scripture, including Revelation chapter 1, is primary. It is source. It is underived. It is original. The difference between Moses and Jesus, if it helps you to think of it, is the difference between the moon and the sun. Now, last night I was doing my thing, as many of you know, I was by myself with my dog, sitting outside on the patio, watching the moon come up. And it was great, and it was glorious, and it was full, and it was reflective. It's not the sun. Moses fades, and Jesus doesn't. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's the Spirit at work in our heart that spiritually and inwardly is producing renewal. Moses came down from the mountain. He was carrying the Word. Jesus, our mediator, doesn't carry the Word. He is the Word. Moses reflected light coming from him. Jesus doesn't. He is the light. He doesn't reflect it. And wonder of wonders, it is a light, it is a glory which we not only observe but in which we are invited to participate so that the veil of our hearts has been removed and, just to add a parallel here, the veil into the Holy of Holies has been severed and we get to go in and behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Unlike Moses, who was the mediator, who spoke with God face to face, who received the instructions from God, who supervised and oversaw and communicated those instructions to the builders of the tabernacle, and who, when it was finished, I hope you caught this in Exodus chapter 40, couldn't get into his own building. He wasn't allowed into his own tent. Why? Because the glory of God was there. And you kind of think, wait a minute, this is Moses. This is Moses. Now, we don't know from there how long he, that lasted and what the interchange of it was, but it's a statement to say, even Moses can't go in to that particular place. But you and I, you and I, through the work of Jesus, go. And yet, here's the reality. I fade. You fade. My eyelids will close in death, and light will be no more. My tent, this earthly body, decays like a tabernacle. It will dry rot. It'll get stained and spotty and splotchy, and things will break on it. I decay. And the fact of the matter is, I see in a mirror dimly now. Dimly. We are, in fact, like, if you remember the story, the, the one particular blind man whom Jesus healed and who, at the time of the healing, didn't see clearly right away, but what he saw were 
men who look like trees moving around. That's where we are spiritually right now. We do not yet see as we will see. We are not yet what we shall be. We're longing. We are longing to be clothed with that which is imperishable. And we want to say, well, why? Why, if we've come to know the Lord, why isn't this our possession right now? Why don't you get to have it right now in that body? And the answer is, you don't have the right body. It's a perishable one. It can't handle the weight of glory. You put your body a mile down in the ocean without any protection, and you know what's going to happen? Squashed. This body needs to be changed. It needs to be transformed. It needs to have imperishability woven into it by the newness of Jesus Christ who makes all things new. And in the meantime, the reason he leaves us just like this is so that the surpassing power of God can be seen through weak, decaying, fading vessels, because then nobody gives any credit to us. They give the credit to God, who renews us inwardly, day after day, while the outward man is decaying. From 2 Corinthians 5. For in this tent, body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You will be renewed. Your body will be raised up and clothed with imperishability so that we can behold in all of its power and enjoy the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in his presence forever. And so, Paul says, we are always of good courage. I want to preach a sermon one day called Groaning Courage. We groan. and we walk boldly. I'm fading out. I'm fading out in my body, fading in in my soul. Praise God, waiting for the unfading inheritance, the renewed body and soul at home in the presence of the glorious triune God. Amen. Let's pray.